The Courage to Lead, episode 166. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an incredible week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. But before we get started, a couple of questions. Do you have a vision for where you want your business to be, but it's in your head and you haven't actually shared it with your employees? Do you find yourself stuck in the day-to-day running of the business and never have time for the strategic aspects of your business? Do you often feel alone carrying the weight of the business on your shoulders? Do you know what your business is worth? or how to increase the value. If you find yourself asking yourself these types of questions, then you may want to connect with a mentor like my next guest. Please help me welcome Christine Nicholson. Christine Nicholson is a multi-award-winning UK business mentor and a top 50 women in accounting for 2020. She's authored four business books and is a regular keynote speaker on success and exit or secession and exit planning. Um, As a businesswoman who has built multi-million turnover businesses over the last 30 years, Christine has worked with many business owners in all sectors, including taking one from bankruptcy to an eight-figure exit in 18 months. She's even spent a few years accidentally running a zoo. (laughs) Her latest book, Sell It, helps business owners get their business and themselves ready for the hardest part of the entrepreneurial journey, leaving their business in the hands of others. Christine sits as a court assistant of the Company of Entrepreneurs of the City of London, where she led a co-mentoring project with the Culture Mile, working with amazing and powerfully impactful creatives. Christine, welcome to the show. Wow. Uh, Thank you. Um, I kind kind of listened to all of that and think, who's (laughs) talking about? Uh, And then, and especially when you mentioned the 30-year bit, it's like, no, I'm only 30. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's right. I, I'm 30 with, what, 30 years experience or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> That's me. yeah. That's so. it. I say. So, so it, this was my silver anniversary, or my silver jubilee of my 21st birthday. There you go. Excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> um, all right. I want to come back and talk about um, all of this, how you got your start, who you work with, and how you help them. Uh, accidentally running a zoo. I know there's a big story there, so we'll talk about that. Um, But before we get started, I have some questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, Listeners will know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Christine, if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Possibility. What is your least favorite word? (laughs) Bin, as in (laughs) B-I-N. What turns you on? Oh, God. Actually seeing potential let loose. That, that And it doesn't matter whether it's the baby bird being kicked out of the nest for the first time to fly or whether it's someone realizing they can do it or, you know, the, the kid that suddenly realizes they don't need the floats to swim. 
uh, it's that, and it doesn't matter what form it's in, because I'm endlessly curious about the journeys that got them there, but it's, it's that. Excellent. Uh, what turns you off? Negativity. Perfect. What sound, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, squish or squelch. Like anything that goes squish or squelch. I love slime. Okay. <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, oh, you know that um, scratching down a thing, anything that's like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't like horror films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Flip-flops. Okay. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I'd love to be a barrister. Actually, no, scrap that. I don't want to be a barrister. I know you have to be a barrister to be a judge. I want to be a judge. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? I could never be a nurse. And I admire them so much, but I just don't have the patience. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? The fridge is full. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It is heaven after all. Absolutely. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, we're going to come back. Like I said, we're going to talk about uh, how you got your start, um, how you got into the role that you have now, how you work with people and help them, some of the projects you've worked on. And at some point, we'll come back and talk about courage and leadership. Okay. So listeners, we'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Christine Nicholson. Christine, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, where are you calling us from? Where are you? So I'm in actually rarely sunny uh, Prince's Risborough, which is about an hour north of London, um, halfway between London and Birmingham. Okay, very nice, nice area. Um, so you accidentally ran a zoo. There's <laughs> definitely a story there. How did that happen? Yeah, I, I've spent my entire career being what I call self-leveling cement. You know, I go in somewhere and I know that this is my job, but actually see all the cracks. So I go and fill them and do my job. Uh, and the zoo was was one of those. I, I went, I was in the Middle East, um, ostensibly as a housewife. I was bored beyond tears. And I, I was actually in a swimming pool and I was rehearsing the conversation I was going to have with my then husband about how maybe I had to go back home to do something more meaningful. And I, I overheard these guys talking about, and they just used a few random words like, commercial accountants and development and big numbers so I got out of the pool I put some clothes on I didn't get dry by the way I just put clothes on I was dripping wet 
And I walked up to the table and I said, look, I'm really sorry, but my little radar ears heard the magic words that I needed to hear. And if there's a job here, I think I can do it. And 25 minutes later, they gave me a little map because there's no concept of an address. Uh, uh, they gave me a little map and said, be there on Sunday, the job's yours. No idea what the job was. No idea where the job was. And at no point had anybody mentioned a zoo at this mm. point. We were talking about building infrastructure and villas and hotels and shopping centres. You know, there, there wasn't even a mention of a pet cat. So, um, so I turned up at the location and I thought, I've definitely got this wrong because this is the back door of the zoo. And the guy said, no, no, your name's on the list. If you drive there, there's a parking spot there. We've got your office for you and your assistant will meet you. I'm thinking, nobody mentioned an assistant. And, um, and they literally had, I mean, from Thursday afternoon to Sunday morning, everything had just been put in place for me to be the, effectively what would have been commercial director of a big development around the zoo. Wow. And, uh, and my office was next door to the zoo director's. Um, but anyway, in the next couple of weeks, he did something naughty and found himself on the fastest plane out of the UAE. And everybody that used to queue outside his office was now queued outside mine. And I said to my, my office assistant, I said, what is going on? And they went, oh, yeah, you know, as if it was normal. Oh, yeah, the zoo directors, he's gone. And uh, so you're it. <laughs> wow. And that was it for the next 12 months until they found a replacement zoo director. I literally did not know what I was doing. <laughs> um, but every day, you know, that, that, we had really good people working for us. They knew what to do. They were just, had always had the kind of leadership that was, they had to seek approval all the time. Yeah. And um, I found myself being educated by, by these people and then literally giving them the tacit approval. And um, so it wasn't it wasn't a challenge. Um, well, and the animals are a lot easier than the people. Yes, I assume they would. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so your accounting background, did you grow up wanting to be an accountant? Or that's something that just kind of happened? No, it was just something that happened. Um, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, I, and I would play with my siblings, and I made a wig for my uh, uh, and you know and I used to waltz around. I would be the prosecution, the defence lawyer. I would be the judge, and I would be the executioner. Um, I, I mean, I had the full uh, here in the UK when they when they did have the death sentence. Mm -hmm. If you were a judge announcing the death sentence, they would stick a little, little black, black off yeah. on top of your yeah. head. Yeah. Um, I had my own black cloth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and and all my my brothers and sisters, I'm uh, sorry, brother and sisters would go, no, please don't make us play courts again. <laughs> so, um, but then I left school at 16. And so the idea of actually going to, to study law was not something that people like me did. And uh, I went and got a job in a bank instead. And um, and then a couple of years in the military. And then eventually, I, what what really taught me in, in banking and in, in my five years in the military was that you really need a professional qualification. It's almost like there has to be something to fall back on. And as soon as I left the military, the first thing I did was I started training to be an accountant because I thought, well, even if I don't become an accountant, this gives me the credibility that I didn't have or I didn't feel that I had because I didn't have a degree. So now I know that actually that was a whole load of head <laughs> trash. 
Um, yeah. But actually qualifying as a candidate was the best thing I ever did. Nice. Now, did you ever go back and get your law degree? I did, yes. Nice. Uh, finally, when I was in my late 40s, it was one of those things. It was like a, an itch that just had to be scratched. And uh, so I went and did my um, postgraduate law conversion course and loved it. Absolutely loved it. I loved the studying, the reading, the whole cerebral aspect of the law. And I loved the philosophy of it. Um, but the more I looked at practicing solicitors, they were as abhorrent to me as a practicing accountant. So um, I took the study experience and uh, left it there. Awesome. But you also have a postgraduate degree in information systems, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I've worked with tech industry for a long time. And I'm not technically... Um, minded at all I mean literally I know where the on button is like, <laughs> I, I know to hold it down for five seconds to reset and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, but what I do know now how to and that's what the masters gave me was how to manage um, information systems projects and the people who are doing the projects and so some some of my biggest successes have really come from working in technology environments um, and getting more out of them rather than sometimes in technology companies, you get a whole load of really enthusiastic brainiacs and they end up being the lunatics that run the asylum. And they go off and they do their projects without, because they're not interested in how much things cost. Right. You know, they're not interested in whether anybody else finds this stuff interesting. And they can be very difficult to manage. But actually, if you talk their language, then uh, you can get quite a lot out of people. Excellent. Very cool. And as an entrepreneur, you created several businesses. Tell me about those. Yes. Yeah. So um, I've always been entrepreneurially minded and I've always had kind of side hustles, you know, things that, that, that I've done on top of my full time job. But my, my first what I would call my grow, first grown up business was in the heyday pre financial meltdown um, of 2008, 2009. And I put a business plan together for this particular, so it's in the healthcare industry. And I, I was actually paid to do this. Somebody asked me to do a feasibility study on them putting an investment into um, developing a new company. And when I looked at it on paper, I thought, wow, this is really good. Like, and there's a real opportunity to make a difference to this industry. Because oh, I was so young, I thought I could make a difference. Uh, because healthcare is, you know, same over, it's the same on both sides of the pond. It's like a huge political hot potato. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but what I did do is I, I built the business plan. I actually went and got some more money, got some more investors and decided to start this thing up. And then I went to the bank with my business plan and said, look, I've got a million pounds of backing, but what I really need is about six million pounds worth of cash. Will you lend me the money? And they went, yeah, of course we will. Like that won't happen today. <laughs> and I didn't know, I'd never been rejected on this. I had no idea that even back then that was abnormal. And, and it, it's just because I'd put a business plan together from a commercial perspective, not from an academic perspective. And uh, so I, you know, I was really focused on this is when you're going to get your money back. This is how I can afford it. This, you know, it's, I'm really focused on operating cash flow. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, they were literally banks were throwing money at me. Um, and we did, we, we built that business um, uh, over a couple of years to you know, multi-million turnover in nice. really, really fast. And, and we were making a difference to the industry. It's just, there was no big bang approach. We were literally doing it in one small business unit at, at a time. But that business is now 20 years old and it's still going. Nice. So must have done something right. Absolutely. That's great. Um, and now you're helping businesses do that, right? Businesses that are struggling, you help them kind of get their feet under them. and, and... Yeah, because actually most people, so businesses that are struggling financially, um, there's usually something more than money going on there. And particularly in most of the businesses that I work with, the business owner is still in the business and he's been there more than five years and typically more than 10 years. So by this time, they're really tired. You know, it's a bit like, um, you know, in uh, uh, Back to the Future, you know, they, they, in Back to the Future, you know, they, they look to the future and they were all on the little hoverboards. And then three years after Back to the Future, we're all looking around going, well, where's our hoverboards then? And, and business owners can be a lot like that. You know, they go in with these bright-eyed, bushy-tailed plans and they go, yep, I'm going to be turning over 10 million within 15 months. Right. Um, and you roll the clock forward 10 years and they're still turning over less than 3 million and they don't know why. And it's like, where's my 10 million turnover business? Because I've worked for it. And uh, yeah, so I, that, typically I work with businesses that are fairly well established, business owners still there and his uh, financial security of his retirement is tied up in that business. And that's where it gets really heartaching because if you haven't got a plan to get it out, you're going to be stuck in that business forever. And the business owns you then, not the other way around. Yeah. But like you said, working with the banks, you had a, a plan that showed them how this was going to work, how they were going to get their money back. Yeah. In, when you go into business, you have to put a plan together. How am I going to do this? How am I going to grow the business? Um, who are my stakeholders, who are my customers, all that. A lot of businesses don't. They just kind of start, turn on the lights and expect things to happen. Oh, yes. Yeah. The number of um, business plans I've seen, because I, I work um, on a voluntary basis with some universities, and the number of pitches I've heard and, and business plans I've seen where it's like day one, I'm going to be turning over £10,000 in the first day. And I'm going, well, how many customers are you going to need to turn over right. that amount of money on day one? And what's your marketing plan to get them there? And, and, and if I hear, well, we're going to put a little video on social media and it's going to go viral one more time, I think I'm probably going to bang my head <laughs> against the desk because it's like that is not a marketing strategy. No. And as business owners, we only have three jobs, okay? Getting and keeping customers staying legal and making getting and keeping customers or staying legal more efficient. And right at the very beginning, you get all tied up with, oh, you know, my branding, my logo, nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares. Right. What they do care about is you giving them a decent service. And then what you care about is getting the money. And uh, most people don't even think about, you know, they think about sending the invoice out, but they don't think about collecting the cash. Right. It's like, no, no, the first thing you don't send an invoice out unless you know you're going to get you, you're going to collect it and you need to be fairly clear on those terms. So, yeah, it's uh, it businesses can turn on really, really small things 
relatively small changes can lead to really big outcomes. Well, I, and I was reading on your website or on your, uh, I think it was your website or LinkedIn profile. One of them, you say that 50% of businesses never really get sold, right? Leaving yeah. the business owners just closing mm. their doors and walking away from a lifetime of work. Why? I mean, is it is that what it is? Is it to not really understanding how the business functions? I mean, technically they're good at what they do. But they don't really yeah. understand the inner workings of the business. Yeah, and and this is um, and this is classic E Myth. So anybody who's listening to this who has not read the E Myth, it is the number one book that I recommend to everybody um, because it's got a real understanding of of this whole. I'm really good at the technical stuff. I'm not really good at the at the business. But one of the big things that I hear, and again, it makes me want to cry, is my business is my baby, and it's like, no, it's not. Your babies were your babies, and they're now probably grown children, but your business is a legal entity that couldn't care less about you. You know, you put stick you in a in in a in a room with with a hundred other people to go speed dating, and trust me, your business ain't going to get no dates. So um, it's, you know, it's, a, it, it's the equivalent to a cardboard box. It's got as much animation as this folder. So, and the minute that you can actually emotionally detach yourself from your business is your baby, right. then you're on the first step to being able to, to really start thinking about how your business serves you. Because you do not serve your business. You serve the needs of your stakeholders, the needs of your customers. You don't serve your customers. You serve the needs, the needs. of your customers. Absolutely. You serve the needs of your employees, but only those needs as far as they satisfy them satisfying the needs of your customers. Yeah. So yes, human business is built from human interaction, but the business itself is a piece of paper yeah. with no personality. It's a machine. If you mm. feed the machine machine outputs, right? Whatever it is you want, cash or whatever it is, but you have to keep that machine tuned up right? yes. and running right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, and almost the bravest thing that I can see a business owner doing is that first attempt at kind of really letting go of control yeah. and trusting that if they've got the right people doing the right things, at the right time for the right reason, which is really only a matter of communication mm-hmm. and managing expectation, then you can start really loosening your grasp on, on all of these strings. And actually, if you think about walking around with your fists like this all the time, like it only takes a few seconds and it really starts to hurt. Sure. It's really uncomfortable. But then you do that, you do that for hours, weeks, m- months. And then you try, and even now, I've only done that for a few seconds, just trying to open your hands, that in itself is going to be painful as well. So I am very conscious that whatever happens, whether you stay holding it or whether you let go, staying hold of it is guaranteeing you long-term pain. Your business will be worthless as well as worth less, but it will probably Mm. be worthless worthless yeah. worth nothing yeah. um, because you you've got the control and and if you're thinking about legacy and looking after your employees then actually the less hold you have 
the more likely your business is going to survive because it will survive under different ownership. And I, I mean, there are different stages, right? When people start their business, usually they've created or recreated their job. They left a job. Now they've started their own business to where it's their name on the door, but it's still a job. They're doing everything, working eight, 10, 12 hours a day. You need to be able to let go to elevate yourself to that entrepreneurial level where you're building the business that's working for you and doing the things you want it to do, freeing you to do some, like you said, the more strategic things. Yeah, absolutely. And I always talk about, you know, you bring people in so that they elevate you. And then what typically happens is the business owner brings a team in and then they're not doing exactly what he wants in the way that he wants, or he gets worried that things are going to be dropped. So in, instead of letting them fail on little tasks uh, or, or even asking for help, he jumps in. So he's constantly then pulling himself down. And what you need is a team that's underneath you that's not only pushing you up, but you're pulling them up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it is a leap of faith, but it's as much a leap of faith, and I would say less of a leap of faith, of when you leave that cushy corporate job with your regular salary and your health insurance and your company car and you know you can turn up on a Friday with a hangover and if you don't really get an awful lot done that day you're going to make a difference because you can make it up on Monday (laughs) whereas when you leave leave that for the cold harsh you know uh, reality of every day you've got to get up and the first thing on your task is getting a customer then keeping a customer or then getting paid by the customer i mean that's not and most people don't don't actually think about all, all of that they just think grass is greener on the other side but i'm gonna i am gonna make a, a go of it and then fear keeps them there i mean so many people have not gone back when they should have done because yeah. it's okay to have a go and it's okay to fail sure. it's, it's totally okay to fail as and long actually, as you learn as long as you learn from it right yeah, I, I think the, the bravest people that I know are the ones that can admit their failure and see that failing in a task is not a reflection of your identity. Yeah. Your identity isn't tied up with the failure. It's the, the failure is just simply a failure of the task. And that might have been timing. I mean, yeah. timing is one of the biggest factors in any success. And there's a really interesting TED talk. Can't remember the guy who does it now, but he he, he does an amazing talk about uh, about the timing being, in his view, and to research the single most important factor in success. Wow. Wow. Very cool. So, fifty percent of businesses never really get sold, right? Um, you said making even a 1% difference in that could change, right? Not only the, the business owners and stuff, but the community as a whole. What would it take to change to that 1%? What is it, what is it that the businesses can do to help themselves? Okay. Well, the first thing is really to know to ask for help. Because I think there's this, there's a kind of machoism in entrepreneurship where it's, I have to learn by my mistakes. And you don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody's going to make them anyway. Mm-hmm. But you can learn by other people's mistakes. Sure. So actually actually saying, I don't know what I don't know. 
or I'm not actually even looking at this part of my business because frankly, it scares me. Mm-hmm. And then being able to ask for help from the right people. And, and, I, and I get it with business owners. As a business owner myself, I've been scared to ask for help because I've been worried about being taken advantage of, being seen to be weak, um, actually seeing that there's quite a lot of charlatans out there that will take your money and deliver nothing for you, yeah. um, particularly in, in marketing and business coaching, uh, the two big things. Um, so so, so the, definitely the first thing is to ask for help, recognize what you need help with, and then, and then go and ask for it. Yeah, and that, like I said, the, the ego gets involved there. Um, I actually was having a conversation with a guy, and he said, what do you know about my business? You know, have you ever worked in this industry? Uh, it's like, no, I've never worked in the industry, but that's good for you because I'm not going to come in and tell you what you should be doing. I'm yeah. going to help you do better, whatever it is you're doing. And he said, if, if you know, I've, I've made it this far in my business without you, why do I need your help right now? And it's, you know, it's, it's that type of thing where it's hard for them to admit that they don't know. It's hard for them to ask for help. They think they should know everything there is. Yeah. But what I found is, like you said, when times get tough, they dive into the weeds and start doing the hands-on thinking if I just work a couple more hours, it'll all work itself out. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for somebody who says things like that, you know, I've got this far as well. Yeah. I, I, I completely acknowledge that getting wherever you've got, I mean, particularly if you've broken the five-year point, mm-hmm. well, hey, but where are you? You know, you might not be where you wanted to be. Um, but I, and, and you might have accepted that, but are you even happy where you are? Because if, if you are literally robbing Peter to pay Paul, if you are constantly thinking, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to make the payroll this month, then you're in that bottom. There's a, there's a clear delineation, top 20, bottom 80%. And the bottom 80% of businesses are, and when you think of that, 80% are literally either just hanging on they're literally rolling on. Um, they don't know they're struggling because yeah. it's not very visible. Um, or they are absolutely struggling. They're the ones having their hands in their head five minutes before payroll, hoping that someone's going to pay them. And, and that's quite a lot of biz- businesses that just don't know enough about how what good looks like to be able to say, actually, if I just have one or 2% improvements here, it will make a real difference. Sure. There's so many people who, and, and this breaks my heart when I hear it, it's, I don't charge as much as other people because there's just me. Uh, yeah. 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 And you're right. proud of that because <laughs> you're basically saying you don't value what you do. Yeah. So why would anybody else do that? Yeah. And it, 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 it does take a bravery pill to say, this is what I am worth. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care that I haven't got, you know, a 16 floor office with a gym and a swimming pool in the basement and a rooftop bar. And, and we don't all go off to sales conferences in Vegas at the company's expense. Yeah, I'd love to do that. But, but actually what I deliver still adds real value. And here's how I can identify the value that I offer. And that having that value conversation starts to get a little light bulb, mm-hmm. um, a, a light bulb going on. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I've worked with a couple of clients in the past that they struggled because they were charging an hourly rate and it was very low. And it's like, why, mm-hmm. why is it set this? Well, I know other people that are making that in their jobs. It's like, yeah, but this is your business. You have your profit you need to add in there, right? You have to the overhead charges that you have with other people and everything. And it was just that, that mindset. And again, most people will start their business and run it like their job. Based yeah. on the job that they had before, this is how I saw it go. This is how, you know, I was paid. So that's how I expect to be paid now. It's different when you run the business, when you own the business. Yeah, absolutely. And the number of people who don't build in either time or money or both for marketing. Both. Yeah. Because you've got to get a customer. So how much of your effort is going into the getting? And, you know, if you look at big businesses, you know, they've got sales departments, they've got marketing departments. Um, and they're all held to account. Uh, and you know, somebody once said to me, what's the biggest piece of advice you'd give to any startup? And I said, focus on how you're going to get your first customer. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then the second piece of advice, focus how you're going to get on your second customer. And then once you've got a rhythmic acquisition of customers, then you know, you're, you're away with fairies. But not focusing on a rhythmic acquisition and understanding the effort, the time and the money that that takes. Yeah. Um, you'll always be on the back foot if you don't, if you don't understand what you're, because uh, it's a cost. Sure. And it's a cost most people don't recognize. Yeah. And as the, uh, you know, the entrepreneur, the business owner, that's your number one job, get customers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so tell me about your work with the company of entrepreneurs. I don't. I don't think we have anything quite comparable to that in the U.S. No, no, it's uh, it's great. I, I look. I remember going to New York um, once, and uh, I met somebody who had flown in from San Francisco. It was to do with baseball, but we did a little tour, and we went to. There's a church in Manhattan that's quite quite old, like 1600s, and there was a gravestone that had 1642 on it, and all the tourists were taking pictures of this. 1642 because it was like the oldest thing they'd ever seen sure. and I'm thinking I've got underwear that's almost older than that <laughs> <laughs> so so the company of entrepreneurs is uh, part of the livery movement in the UK and in the in ancient days like in the 9 10 and 1100s uh, these were early unions so they were basically uh, collaborations of craftsmen to maintain the craft standards. So you you joined a a craftsman association, a livery company, not really quite sure where the livery bit comes from. Uh, And then you you got your um, anointment from the queen or king at at the time. Um, And and that was setting the standards for your craft. Uh, And this is where the, qualifications city and guilds came from because they were the city and the guilds i.e livery companies uh, certificates for craftsmanship so about uh, eight or nine years ago um, a couple of guys got together and decided that actually entrepreneurship was a craft it was a craft and needed to be recognized and uh, they managed to pull the great and the good of the city together. And, they, and, and it's one of those things where you get a tap on the shoulder and you go, do you want to join? And you know you're only being asked because the people, it, you know, it's one of those clubs where uh, you're only asked by people to come in because you're 
reflecting the same values. And uh, with modern livery companies, it's really all about getting back. So there, there is a, the, the three big things are maintaining and developing the craftsmanship going forward uh, and encouraging that, uh, engaging in fellowship with people who have lots of things in common with you. And the fellowship is amazing. And then it's actually giving back. So we support young entrepreneurs, we support charities um, and uh, certain charitable activities that encourage the development of entrepreneur skills in everything from schools, school leavers to ex-offenders and, um, and, and in, we do projects with the homeless. Um, and then last year we did a, an amazing project with uh, some creative artists and it was, uh, it was phenomenally successful and we're now going to launch the, that was a pilot, we're now going to launch it as a permanent project. Very cool. And so as your, your role as the court assistant, what do you do? Um, so court assistant is the equivalent of being on the board. Okay. And uh, so you're basically part of leading that strategic direction of where this guild is, or company as it is now. It's one of those things you start off as a guild. Mm -hmm. Then when you're grown up a bit, you become a company. And then when you've grown up a bit more and with the blessing of the city of London, you become a livery company and it's a worshipful company right. of and that's the formal livery title so there's lots of ancient language but what it does mean is that we do lots of dressing up um we do lots of formal events there's lots of fundraising we get involved in in some of the amazing events in the the city of london and it is an extraordinary city i'm not going to say it's the best city in the world uh, but it is um <laughs> but uh, but it is an extraordinary city and anybody who hasn't been here um please come it's a sure. really welcoming place and it's full of absolutely ancient things honestly there will be people walking down the street that are older than 1642. <laughs> <laughs> that is no that's that's great and we love traveling around uh, europe and the uk because of that fact, there's so many things. We we visited a church in Ireland one time that was the plaque said founded in 1225. Yeah, holy cow! You know My, we don't have anything that old here. You know. Yeah. So the village that I live in uh, was founded in 1309, mm. and the village that's next door, which is Monks Risborough, is the oldest parish in the UK. Oh. It's the first parish that was founded, and it was founded in 909. Wow. So, uh, yeah, and we have a few relics around here, uh, of which I am now adding to, so. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so courage, we talk about courage. Um, you know, where do people find the courage to leave that nine to five comfort zone, right? To kind of do their own thing. Um, where did you find the courage to step out and kind of create your own, your own success? Uh, in some ways, I was a very reluctant entrepreneur. I was literally dragged kicking and screaming um, because I, I, you know, somebody pointed me in the right direction. And uh, I, I mean, I had it, I, I, I'm going to say I almost had it laid on a plate. The idea that I could do it and other people's belief in, in me being able to do it was there. It was, only, it was only me holding me back. And then eventually I realized I had nothing to lose. And I think that's taking the leap when you know that staying where you are is going to let you lead a life that is just too ordinary. Whereas taking a leap forward is what's the worst that can happen. You fall on your face, you get up, 
you go back to where you were. Well, um, for people like us, yeah, it's like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? And can I live with that? Other people mm-hmm. just stepping up to the edge and looking over the edge. It's like, ah, oh, that's enough, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and I think we need to recognize that there's enough um, space in the world for all different types of um, different types of people. But um, I mean, the first the first courageous step is actually stepping out of what you've had, your perceived safety net. And uh, and I think it's a bit of a myth that having a a job is safe because we've seen that, you know, they can quit you in a month, you know. Yeah. Um, so see, at some point you're always going to be kicked out of wherever it is, whether it's retirement, whether it's being invited to go and take another job. It's happened to me a few times, or whether you just recognize that where you are is, is actually so uncomfortable that moving somewhere else is just going to be the most, most comfortable. But, um, I, I think when most people take the leap into, um, entrepreneurship, I don't think they go into it fully informed. So whilst there's a bit of bravery um, I also think half half the thing is is what I don't know, I don't know. And I'm not going to worry about that until I have to know it. Um, so there's a little, uh, and I hesitate to use the word ignorance because I find that word quite aggressive, but there is a little ignorance um, in, involved. But then I think actually keeping going, there's, there's an element of belief and bravery that you have to have to to keep going and but equally recognizing when you have to stop and some of the bravest moves i've seen in business are people saying enough's enough this isn't working i have to walk away from it i have to have a clean break because moving to nothing at least gives me the opportunity for possibility Whereas this is holding me in misery and life is way too short. short Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the pandemic brought a lot of that to the forefront where people are thinking, you hear all the talk about the great resignation. I don't believe there's a resignation. I think it's a reevaluation. What am I doing? Why am I here? Why am I getting up every day and giving my life to this company where I don't feel right valued? I'm not getting out of it what I want. So now they're starting to look entrepreneurial efforts um, a lot of them yeah but you having a great idea and having the enthusiasm is is a good start but you need help you need to go and ask somebody for help right? yeah yeah and and certainly in the first instance I think that it's almost a brave move to say I don't know something and most people won't admit it in front of their employees but trust me sure. your employees know that's ab- <laughs> absolutely the only person you're kidding is yourself. Absolutely. Um, no, we talk about the um, intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs and the knowledge you have right now to make room for new knowledge. Because yes. a lot of times you'll find yourself in a position where you don't know. You have to be open enough to ask your employees, hey, I'm struggling with this. How can we improve this? How can we make this better? And, and honestly, they will come up with amazing ideas. Like you'll always have one muppet in the room that'll come up with a funny idea that is not helpful. Right. And, and the bigger your company gets, the more likely you to have a few people like that that just won't take anything seriously. Sure. Um, but, um, but most people come to work to do a good job and they want to make a difference. Yeah. And you, you just got to kind of let them. 
Um, so it might, the, there's a bravery, there's a courage thing on both sides here. There's the courage to say, hey, I don't know everything. What, what's possible here? What, what's, what, can we, what can we do to fix this? And then there's the courage in the employees to go, well, if I say this, I'm putting my head above the parapet. And if it doesn't work, then I'm, am I going to get fired because I'm the messenger? Right. So actually having an environment where people can be brave, where there's no stupid idea, no stupid question. Right. No retribution um, for coming up with something, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just enabling then them to be filtered. Because actually some of the craziest ideas I've ever seen have been the ones that really worked. And yeah. um, yeah, for example, I, I, I went to, when I was training to be an accountant, I went to work for an organization that had a massive debtor problem. Like we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds in money owed to them by their customers. And their credit control manager was just like, what can we do to make people pay? Like without going through the legal route. And they and somebody said, well, you know, maybe we ought to do, you know, like a buy one, get one free. And they thought, actually, and when they explored that idea, they, they re recognized that some of this debt was so old that potentially they were going to have to write it off anyway. But if by writing one of these invoices off, it got one of these new ones paid, well, hey, cash in the bank really, really quickly. We were going to write that off anyway, and it's already provided for. So, but it did get this thing paid because now they're tidying up their accounts. And it, it sounds like a ridiculous idea. Credit control, buy one, get one free. <laughs> Who would have thought? But it bought that debt down massively. Really. And that's a lot of those ideas like that. They may not be uh, an idea you can implement, but it may lead you to another idea that does get yes. things working. So yeah. yeah, you have to be open. I had a, a panel discussion yesterday, a special of, on the podcast of uh, talking about co company culture and how important that is to create a culture where people can say, I have an idea, or I think we could do this better, or I think mm. you dropped the ball on this without getting the retribution, you know, mm. and that's, that's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. So I always have um, a, a, a system with the clients that I work with where I always, I, I talk to them about if you want to get out of the day to day, then you've got to replace yourself with something. And I don't mean another human being. But if you think about all the things that people come to you for, like let's establish some processes about, so every time someone comes to you to make a decision, let's back flush that with a, with a process and some yes. mechanism of and empowering people with certain limits of uh, uh, levels of authority. And, it, and if things start to go wrong, like you can pick them up really, really quickly. And then you can have a very unprejudiced conversation because it's, okay, this has gone wrong. Where in our process is our process not mm. working? Because it's either the process needs to be fixed or somebody didn't follow the process. Absolutely. And very quickly you find people going, actually, I didn't follow the process. Um, but equally... The win-win-win is the fact that because people who consistently don't follow the process and create drama need to go and work somewhere else. Right. And you need to make them happy by allowing them to Absolutely. <laughs> which will create happiness in your environment. Because trust yeah. me, your employees, while, only while you're tolerating somebody in your environment that isn't serving yeah. you or your business well, 
Yeah. You're it's actually, it's actually damaging, right? Mm. The, the morale yeah. of the other employees. Yeah, we always talk about uh, is, the process is like a recipe. If you follow the recipe, you get this, right? If it's a chocolate cake, you end up with a chocolate cake. If 10 people follow the same recipe, they end up with 10 almost identical chocolate cakes. If one person ends up with scones, <laughs> yeah. banana bread, something like that, either they got the wrong recipe or they didn't follow it. Yeah. And it's very easy to spot where that went wrong. But if everybody's doing things their own way and you don't take control over that by, you know, systematizing everything, right? Standard processes, you have no idea where to fix it. You have no idea what's broken. And, the, and it also means that the quality of the conversations and the decision-making that you're having is much, much, much higher. Because when you're in the weeds and things are going wrong, you're reacting, you're not leading. And all that reacting is going to do is get you more and more frustrated. So if you're leading, then you won't get caught in the weeds, which means that the difficult conversations that you have, the brave conversations of, I think you might be someone who needs to work somewhere else, yeah. can happen more easily because you can think more clearly. And your decision-making on their performance Will, will also be more clear and you can make those decisions quicker. And guess what? All of that makes everyone happier, which means you make more money, which means your business is worth more. Oh, and you're a whole lot less stressed. And now you can start thinking clearly about who else could own this business, exactly. not just run it. Exactly. And, and, and that is pennies in the bank for your retirement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and if you're doing things right, the employee should never be surprised when you mm. come up and say, I think you need to work somewhere else. You should be having those conversations. Here's yeah. what you did. Here's what I expected. So let's do this this way, right? Or yeah. set the expectations for them, hold them to those expectations. But it should not be a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think there's the, the another really disappointing thing that I see with many business owners is, is how easily they accept mediocrity. And if you step forward and set your expectation and hire according to that expectation and then give everybody the tools. So you, you don't bring a, somebody in to be on your senior management team and then micromanage them and give them the tools, give them the, the bandwidth to, to do the job and then, and then get on with it. And you never know, somebody might actually do the job better than you're doing it. <laughs> Like, oh, shock horror. <laughs> Absolutely. So do you consider yourself a, a, a coach or a mentor? Well, I always say that I'm a mentor, and um, mainly because the difference between a coach and a mentor is fundamentally uh, a mentor uses some coaching techniques, but the primary thing about them is that they've got the experience they've been in, in exactly the same circumstances as you they've got the battle scars they know um it, it, they they've made mistakes they've fallen flat on their face and picked themselves up um whereas um with coaching you don't necessarily have had to have had the experience and um and one of the other reasons why i've always called myself a mentor is because the coaching world in the uk and probably in the us has been a bit wild west yeah. And it takes a long time to find the really good ones. Now, I'm really lucky after five years of searching, I mix in a really nice environment now of really good, solid 
coaches mm-hmm. and good solid business mentors but you know as in the co- coaching and business mentoring anybody can li- literally hang out their shingle and call themselves whatever they want to um but i i i have a masters in business mentoring i've got the highest level of accreditation um from the association of business mentors um and i have 30 years experience of of business mentoring so and i definitely have the battle scars to show <laughs> for it but equally i don't know everything and and i find it really easy to say i don't know anything about that but that doesn't mean to say i can't help you solve this problem because sure. all of the solutions to the problems are genuinely within yourself and as a mentor it's my job to make sure that when you fall flat on your face that you pick yourself back up that you don't end up going down a rabbit hole that costs you lots of lots of money and is a waste of time but you are going to still you're still in control of your business you're still making the decisions you just have the backstop of somebody who has got your back and has no agenda none whatsoever very cool so what do you look for in a leader when you're working with these leaders and helping them in their business what do you what do you look for and how do you help them what are they missing or what are they struggling with most so the the one thing i really look for is honesty and that's uh, and and mix that with self awareness so you can be honest with yourself uh, as well as honest with with others and if you if you add honesty with self awareness and then add some diplomacy into that because there's there's a right way to say certain things and i like i am very direct uh, i'm i'm known for being quite direct but i also know that there are ways that to speak to people where i'm going to get heard and then the fourth big thing for me is somebody who listens uh, as a business mentor listening is probably one of the most important skills i have but actually as a leader being brave enough to stay silent and listen to the full discourse in a meeting or 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 the full depth of someone else's opinion it doesn't mean to say that you can change you need to change your mind but actually listen seeking to be understood sorry seeking to understand before you right. seek to be understood right. uh, i think is because quite often if you stay silent people or you're quiet people think um doesn't know what they're doing or um you know, not interested it can it can come across as very it can be attributed as very negative mm. um but actually doing that and just listening is, is, Absolutely. Uh, yeah ask a question and just let them let them think on it for a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Very cool. Well, Christine, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on the program. If if people want to get in touch with you, um how can they do that? What's your website? So, you can catch me at businessmentoruk.com. Um anybody who's thinking uh in terms of their business exit readiness, I my business is my baby as in my retirement fund baby um and i don't know how much it's worth or how i'm going to get it out of it i also have a if you go to getexitready.co.uk there's a 15 question quiz which will help you see where your weaknesses are in your current business structure and um 
and, and that leads to links to other resources on my website. And also, I'm on Amazon. I do have four books. And That's right. you can yeah, search Christine Nicholson, sell it. Um, you'll see all of my other books on there. Excellent. Very cool. Well, I will make sure I have all those links in the show notes so that people can thank reach you. out and find you and stuff. And again, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Uh, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Had a great time. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here. Definitely check out the website, check out the books. All the links will be in the show notes. Um, and share this episode with your family, your friends, and your colleagues. And go to London if you haven't already, because it is a great place. <laughs> really enjoy it. All right. And uh, that's it for me. Stick around for there's more coming always. So uh, that's it for me now. Coach Harlan saying so long for now.